Uh, I want to welcome uh, you uh, this morning. If you have uh, not visited Redeemer before, there are a lot of you who uh, are here this weekend, former RUF students, had a wonderful alumni uh, conference or alumni dinner on Friday night, so it's good to have you here. I know some of you are here this morning. Uh, maybe some of you are uh, visiting to see uh, if you can find a church home, or, or maybe you're not a, a believer and you're here this morning and you're trying to understand the gospel and understand what the faith is all about. Uh, so if you are visiting, let me tell you what we have been uh, studying uh, this, this fall. Uh, we've been looking at uh, the topic of cosmology. Now that's a, that's a fancy word, it's a theological word, and what the word really means is we've been studying origins, or the, the nature of reality, the nature of being. And so when we talk about what it means to be human, we are looking at what does it mean to be a human being? Why do we use the form of the verb to be? Why do we not just say that we are the uh, higher uh, complex of the evolutionary process? Well, one of the reasons this is important is because we all know that we ourselves have a beginning... <laughs> And we have an end. And so we're always asking that question. It doesn't matter whether you're a religious person or not a religious person, but you're asking the question, why am I here? Why do I exist? Am I here by chance? If I'm here by chance, does that really say that I have any meaning in my life? Or if I'm not here by chance, am I here by faith? By fate? Or am I here because God has created me? Now what we've been trying to say is we've been looking at Genesis 1. Really, Genesis 1 is very clear uh, to the answers to these questions. Uh, that God is our creator. He spoke and the world came into existence. The entire creation uh, is uh, to, to place man in his image, in his creation, to bear his image. And so that's uh, what we've been looking at. Uh, now today we come to chapter 2, and we come to the importance of the seventh and the final day, the day of creation. I mean, the day of, of, of Sabbath, the end of creation. So if you would, I want you to turn uh, to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. And so God, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now this is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you are the God who's here, the God that we can know, that you are our creator. We see that certainly in our text this morning. But Father, we'll also see that you are our redeemer and that Jesus Christ has given us a rest that will be eternal. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us understand the significance 
that Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. And that in Him we have peace. And that in Him we have everlasting life. Uh, that in Him we have meaning in this world through our redemption and the world to come. And so, Lord, we pray that You would speak to us this morning. And we ask it in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at the significance of the seventh day, uh, the Lord's day. Uh, this final day of the creation account. Now as we come to learn about the Sabbath, there's a lot of interesting things to learn about the Sabbath, facts about the Sabbath, how we're to apply the Sabbath uh, in, in our lives. But all faithful preaching is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the whole Bible, no matter what the text is, is pointing uh, to him as both the creator uh, and the redeemer. Uh, we've already seen this, but we see this certainly uh, in John 1 as we have this parallel passage between Genesis 1 and John chapter 1 that Jesus was there in the beginning as the creator who comes into this world of chaos uh, to be our redeemer. Uh, John puts it this way, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So it's important for us to understand the Sabbath and all that it means for us in, in certain particulars. But it's especially important for us to see all, all these things are pointing us to the person and work of Christ. Now, as we come to our text, I just want to do uh, a couple of things here, a little bit different than I normally do. And the first thing I want to do is I just want to take some observations from, from our text, just the same way we do small group Bible study. Maybe you would do your Bible study. Uh, to see what the text says about the seventh day and why it's unique from the other days. And then the second thing I want to do is make some kind of application uh, and look at this theological significance of the Lord's day. And then finally, I want us to see uh, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ uh, that is in our text. And so the first thing I want us to do, and I want you to look at your bulletin, and I just want us to make some observations about uh, what we learn uh, of the Lord's day. Now the first thing that's clear, it's, it's unlike any of the other days. Now how's that? Well, first off, the creative work is done. It's finished. It's completed. Uh, there is nothing else created on this day. Uh, we are told that the heavens and the earth have been completed. And all the heavenly hosts that, uh, the hosts that were put in the waters and in the sky and ultimately man 
as the ultimate of the creation. It's done. That's the first thing. Nothing is taking place of creation on this day. Second, we are told that God rested on the seventh day. He uses the term seventh day uh, three times. There is a lot of creative work that has been done as we have learned that God spoke matter into existence and for the next six days he begins to create order out of the disorder. He brings meaning and life and form and feeling out of the void and the chaos. We see the one who created all things that he transcends the material world that he spoke in the world came into existence. Now notice thirdly also that unlike the other days, uh, he blesses this day. Before he had only blessed the living creatures and he blessed the man and the woman and he told them to be fruitful and to multiply. And so he blesses the seventh day. And then the last thing that we see, just as uh, observation, is that he made this day holy. That he set it apart from the other six days. Uh, and that is significant. So there's some of the facts, and there's a lot of, a lot of things you could glean out of this text, but those are some basic observations. So what are we to make of these observations? You might say, so what? What is the relevance of these observations and the relevance of the Lord's Day uh, to us today? Well, the first thing that we learn uh, from this seventh day is that God has a purpose uh, for what he does. Actually, Genesis 2.1 is a reflection back on Genesis 1-1, where we see that history begins when God speaks. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then what we have in the seventh day is completion. That he has fulfilled all of his purposes. And so God is a purposeful God. Someone has put it this way, that from the beginning, God's presence was peculiarly and preeminently associated with the invisible heavens. That was where he dwelt, the site of his enthronement. Uh, that before God created, uh, he was eternal. For Psalm 11 says this, The Lord is in his holy temple. And the Lord's throne is in heaven, and his eyelids are on the, the, the children of men. Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what place of rest for me? So God is present in the beginning, but he is also 
there in the end and resting. And so there's absolute purpose in what he does. So what does that mean to us? Well, Carl Sagan in his cosmology said that the universe is all that was and is and ever will be. That there is this transcendent material world. And it's not just Sagan that believes that, but pretty much all of our education begins with what we see. It cannot affirm in scientific method that there's actually a metaphysical world. Uh, and our text clearly says that. That God is outside his creation. The essence of theism is that he is self-understanding. And he's self-conscious apart from the creation. But science says, well, we cannot measure that. And so the beginning is that we were created from the dust, uh, that the world has always been here. And the end result of that cosmology is that there is no means of life. Uh, there is no purpose. There's no point. There's no reason to teach your children a way to live or the moral of the story because apart from a God who is there, a God that you can know, a God who very clearly from Genesis to Revelation is revealing himself as a God who we can know and worship and reflect his image and to honor him with our lives. And so that's the first thing uh, that we see is that God has a beginning and he has an end. Now what's amazing to me about uh, the Lord's Day that I think to a certain extent has been lost is uh, that the Lord's Day was a reminder, uh, at least when I was growing up, that God is the creator. I remember when I was a kid, uh, and back in the early, late 50s and early 60s, uh, nothing was open on Sunday. If you're older, do you remember that? And of course, I guess it's part of being a southerner. But I remember as a kid having this great sense that God is sovereign over us. That he is the ruler and he's a sustainer of all of creation. That everything stopped. And we had that weekly reminder uh, that God is the creator. And the reason that we're here is for his purposes. And so that's the first thing. Because it teaches us that he has a purpose. The second thing that we learn from the Sabbath day is that God blessed the Sabbath day. Uh, it's a day of blessing. In other words, it was for our good. He doesn't bless the other days. He's working on those other days. But on the Sabbath, the Sabbath, he sets it apart and he blesses it for our good. Now imagine his audience. Uh, the, the first audience that Moses, when he wrote this, the, the Jews who were slaves who are under hopeless bondage, 
His cosmology that was taught to them through the ancient myths, as we've already said, were that the gods uh, created human beings for service to them. That man is to labor for the gods. And the only human being that was created in the image of God was the Pharaoh. But now what he learns through the blessing of the story of creation is that we're all created in the image of God. And that on the seventh day, far be it, that our purpose in life is to work and work and work. But there's a purpose to our work. And that is to worship God and to know Him and to respond to Him. Uh, Someone has uh, put it this way, that we are not to submit ourselves to space and time in all our work. But we are to submit ourselves to Him in whom we can rest. You see, the Sabbath day teaches us that we are to rest in Him, that we're to trust in Him. Now let me be very practical here at this point, and that is this. Uh, Steve earlier talked about how we are really funny about our money, aren't we? Because the money that we have is a material thing that kind of gives us a, a bit of a freedom. Right? My dad said, I've been rich and I've been poor, and rich is better. And so we think about that. And we pull out our wallets and we look at our bank accounts and we look at the world around us and it's kind of a scary place. And what we're looking for is something that will buy us a little comfort, a little ease, take away some of our anxiety. And therefore, rather than trusting in Him whom we do not see, who created the material world, and bringing our tithes and our offerings, we hold back because we don't trust Him. God has given us the Sabbath day. He set it apart so that we might... in the same vein, trust Him about our life. That we're always busy and we're always frantic. And there's always this insecurity about us, and so we work and we work and we work. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with working. There's six days. And God is working. And of course, we're going to see in a little bit that God continues to work. But man is created on the sixth day and on the seventh day. What does he do? He rests. Fellowship with God. A reminder that the God that we worship is the true and living God. And every Sunday we come together to acknowledge that He has given us rest in the person and work of Christ. And that if you can trust Him, Uh, with your salvation, with your whole eternal 
uh, existence, then you can trust him with what will happen this week. Uh, and then thirdly, God not only blesses the Sabbath day, but he calls it holy. It is a day that is unique. It is a day that is set apart. It's exalted above all the other days. And when he talks about the Sabbath being exalted, he uses three verbs. He says the heavens and the earth were completed. Since the close of the sixth day, there is no new day. Uh, there is this special day that says that the creation is finished. But he also, it says, he rested from all his works. Uh, does this mean that God became weary? He got tired? He had to sit down and wipe his brow? Is that what it means that he rested? No, it means that he ceased from the work of creation those six days, and now there's something significant about this Sabbath day. There's something unique about it. And then it says again, thirdly, in the context of the Sabbath, that he blessed this day. And this day is a memorial of his perfection, that everything that God did, he sits back, he's completed it, and he says, it's all very good. Now that's important because, you see, God is delighting in his own creation. That everything that he created, that he has set apart and created space and time, and it's all very good. So he delights in what he's accomplished as the creator. That everything he created is good. Now imagine it. I mean, think about this. Seriously. <laughs> you know, the earth is exactly where it needs to be in the universe. You ever thought about that? It's sitting at the right place on its axis. And I'm not a scientist, okay? I'm not a scientist. I don't really like to get into all that because all the scientists in here would go, that was completely wrong. But even the scientists that we have at Redeemer, we have a number of them that are in here, we go, you know, it really is pretty amazing that here we sit in this universe. Because God is created. And it's holy unto him. Uh, he is satisfied with what he has done. All right, now you're asking, okay, well, that's great, that's good. These are good things for me to think about. But that brings me to the third point, which is, well, where's the gospel uh, that is in here? Uh, if everything is about Jesus Christ, uh, then where do we see Christ in our text? Well, we'll see more of this in the next couple of weeks. But I want to start moving that way as we begin to understand that, that before we can get the gospel and the magnitude of the work of Christ on the cross, we need to understand how we have marred this creation. 
that our sin has brought the disorder back into the cosmos. But Hebrews tells us this concerning Jesus. When we think about the Sabbath day, he continues to work. God doesn't take a rest. He's done with creation. And he sits back and he says, this is good. He delights in what he does. But he certainly has to sustain the creation. Uh, someone put it this way, that yes, God sits back and he's created all things. Uh, he rests on the seventh day. Uh, but then man sins and he puts him back to work. But in Hebrews 1 it says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. For he is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. For he upholds the universe and the word by his power. You see, our text in Hebrews teaches us that Jesus Christ is sustaining all things by the word of his power. So far be it that the, the seventh day is a day uh, that ended. It was the end of the creation, and everything that he created is good. But, because sin has entered into the world, God begins the work of redemption. And we'll say more about uh, that later as we look at Adam and Eve uh, and their sin. But let me ask you this question as we uh, come to begin to conclude this morning. Do you feel in the, your being a being uh, that God has sustained you? That He has forgiven your sin? Uh, that he has uh, created a Sabbath rest that we'll, we'll read here in a moment in Hebrews. Uh, that if we fail to enter that rest, there, there will not be a peace. Uh, there will be a constant turmoil. Now think about this for a moment. As we've been looking at the created order and that God is a God of order, and that he has created us for his pleasure, and he is there for our good. And yet, rather than submitting to this God, and submitting by faith to what he has said in his word, that he is the creator, sustainer of all things, and rather than submitting to his promises that in Jesus Christ, uh, the sins uh, that we have uh, uh, perpetrated upon him and each other that brings a chaos. Rather than looking to him, we look back to our own works and our own efforts. And my observation as a pastor is it seems that few of us sometimes understand 
A, the significance first of the chaos we've created. Our sins that affect everything around us. How we think, how we behave, how we respond to circumstances in God's providence. I was uh, reading an article uh, recently. Uh, it's been a couple of years ago. I think I've mentioned this before. And uh, it was, the, the, the gentleman was talking about the effects of sin and how it wears us out. That our unbelief wears us out. And uh, so uh, he talked uh, about, uh, he, he talked about a, uh, an a, a assistant pastor or a youth pastor who went to the senior pastor and said to the senior pastor, you know, I've been, you know, I've been ministering to these teenagers. Uh, they, they really are wearing me out. And, and uh, I mean, I just need, I need some vacation. I need some time off. And so the pastor said, well, listen, you go take a vacation. That's great. You go take a vacation. But I assure you that when you get back within two weeks after you're back, you'll be tired again. And then after you are, then come talk to me, and I'll tell you what the problem is. And so the youth worker went off uh, with his wife and family and had a two-week vacation, uh, uh, which is, you know, Myrtle Beach or hanging out, chilling. Comes back two weeks later. He's worn out again. And so he comes to, to the pastor and he says, you know, you're right. <laughs> Try to take vacation. Uh, and it worked a while, for a while, but, but now I am, I am completely weary again. I'm ready. Can I take another two weeks vacation? He said, no, you can't do that. And so the pastor said, let me, let me tell you what you need to learn as, as, as a young, young pastor, as a young man. He said, the reason that you're frantic and the reason that you're weary is because you're not integrated. In other words, you, he, said, he said, I'm not saying you don't have integrity because you're sending this out there, but you're thinking out there and trying to get these things resolved when really what you need to do is know exactly who you are, what God's called you to do. And whether you're a captain of 10 or 50 or 100 you need to know what you understand about the scripture, how it applies in your life, how it applies in your ministry, what it is you're going to be doing with these kids versus doing all these other ministry things. And he said, what integration will do from your core will give you energy. You see, part of the blessing is multiplication, isn't it? God blessed them and, and, they, and, and they multiply. And it comes from resting first. Versus busy, busy, busy. Trying to cover your sins. Uh, uh, trying to uh, make things happen. Versus by faith resting in what God has done on our behalf. But you see, there is a rest to come. And the writer of Hebrews uh, tells us that there is a Sabbath rest uh, to come. 
And the only way that we will not enter into this rest is not taking God at His word for what He's done for us in Jesus Christ, that He is our Sabbath rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He has come on our behalf and He has entered into the chaos. He has taken our chaos upon Himself and was cursed on our behalf so that we might, by grace, as a gift of God, be at peace. Now, don't you want to be at peace? First off, don't you want to be at peace with God in, in, in the fact that you're separated by your sins? But Jesus Christ has come as the Creator into the world to be the God-man and die the death we all deserve so that He might bring peace with God, no longer at war with. The writer of the Hebrews says that the only thing that keeps us from that rest is our unbelief. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now let me tell you what he's, who he's talking to. He's talking to the Jews who had become Christians, but they were being persecuted and they were wanting to go back. They were wanting to go under all the shadows, including, including the Sabbath, that was pointing to Christ. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Why would they not enter the rest? Because they're looking to the very law and all the ceremonial laws that just create more bondage, more religion. Rather than they were pointing to Christ who's already accomplished the work on our behalf. And so he says this, since therefore it remains for some to enter this rest. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a day, today saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to people who completely misunderstood the Sabbath. That really, for the Jews, it was a reminder when God gave it that paradise is lost. So the Jews received the, the Sabbath day in the Ten Commandments as a reminder to them of what was lost and that the only thing that would bring that ultimate rest is the Messiah to come. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you. It's great resting on the Lord's Day. I like that. Um, I really don't think we're supposed to be kind of uh, trying to figure out, now, what are the rules we're supposed to do and not do? I've been at many a presbytery exam, and that question always comes up about your view of the Lord's Day. <laughs> and, uh, and it used to be one gentleman 
Uh, he's no longer in our presbytery. But he'd always ask that one question. Of course, I always wanted to stand up and say, Bob, and his name wasn't Bob. But I wanted to say, Bob, how are you doing on the other nine commandments? How about number ten? Thou shalt not covet. I think that one bothered Paul all the time. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. The whole point is lost. And that Christ is our Sabbath. By faith. You understand that? By completely casting yourself upon Him and resting in Him. You ever read the novel... The Trial by Franz Kafka. I don't know that. I, I think I read about half of it, and then I got the cliff note for the, for the rest of it. Or maybe I watched the movie. <laughs> but I want to close on this, because it's really a fascinating book, right? It's about a guy who wakes up one day, he's a basically decent guy. And uh, he gets arrested. And uh, so... He asked the people, why am I being arrested? They said, we don't know why you're being arrested. And uh, so he goes off and uh, he's, he's arrested and he's in jail and he knows, he knows, well, people are reasonable and I'm basically a decent guy and so they're going to be reasonable and we're going to find out what the problem is because and, and, uh, I'm basically a decent guy. Well, you know what? He found out that people weren't reasonable and he kept asking people, why am I in here? And they didn't know. And, uh, and, and so, but the, the, more he's, the more he begins to think about it, the more he begins to think, well, maybe I did do something wrong. And so all of a sudden, these insecurities begin to seep in because he realizes, ladies and gentlemen, he's not a great guy. But there is no, there is no trial. There is no solution. And of course, I think eventually the, the warden stabs him and kills him. That's a nice end to a, a story of a miserable guy. But here's the point. The, the point is that, you know, until you come clean with the fact that you are guilty, and, uh, and that the, the Bible says that if you keep the whole law but you break it at one point, you're guilty of all, then you understand there's always going to be this just kind of low grade, no joy, no peace, no confidence. I'm hoping I believe this. I'm hoping I believe this. Versus Jesus Christ is the second Adam. He's accomplished everything for us. Our creator becomes the substitute. And to harden your heart is to not fully come and rest upon him alone as your only hope, salvation. You might go, well, you know, man, I became a Christian and it was great, but man, why is my life so hard? Well, because there's a work to be done, isn't there? I mean, even God didn't create everything on the first day. It took him six days. So he recreates us by faith in Jesus Christ. And he is sanctifying us and teaching us to rest in him. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the Lord's Day, it's, it's, it's the day uh, that didn't end.
it didn't say, and there was morning and evening, because you're still at work. And we thank you that though we have marred your creation, through our sin and our unbelief, and continue to do so, that our fear hurts other people because we're not living by faith. Uh, that our anxieties make other people that are supposed to have confidence in us, if we're dads, uh, rather than giving them confidence in you. Uh, it creates fear in them. Uh, Father, we thank you that you're a gracious God and that we can come to you completely as we are and that you will forgive all our sins and that your mercies are new every day. That Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. And so I pray that you would take these words and drive them into our hearts. Father, I pray for any who are here that don't know you, that they are still seeking to work themselves into some holiness. Lord, you alone can make us holy and set us apart through Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would see that this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time, and now we pray uh, that you would bless our communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.